You're listening to Titans of the Trades. I'm your host, Ryan England, author of Hire Better People Faster and creator of the Corfit Hiring System, a proven process to help growing companies attract and retain only the best. I'm on a mission to revolutionize the perception of the trades and elevate it to new heights. After growing up in a blue collar family, my passion for making the trades cool again runs deep. If you're a Titan in the industry and want to be on my show, stick around until the end and I'll reveal how you can be my next guest. When leaders, when the owner of a business is willing and able to admit a mistake and say, let's learn from it, that sets a really good example for their team. Because mm-hmm. like to an owner or to a manager, like if you think your people think you're perfect, that might be a mistake. Mm-hmm. Right. They probably know you're not perfect, but they're still coming to work for you anyway. Right. Yeah. So modeling those behaviors and, and that sort of sets the example. But then employees might say, hey, Ryan, I, I, I made a mistake uh, back there. It's better to fix it now rather than leaving it behind the drywall to be discovered later. You have to reward that person who has spoken up. For those of you that have listened to me for a while, you know that I have an obsession with both process and measuring things. I love data. I love that we're able to draw conclusions from that data so that we make the right decisions about how to move forward in our business. And today's guest has written multiple books on this subject. And I am so excited to introduce him to you. One of his greatest books was Measures of Success, How to React Less, Lead Better, and Improve More. Teaching your team how to do these things and and also equipping you with the tools you need to make those decisions. His latest book is The Mistakes That Make Us, and it's how to create a culture of learning and innovation. Get ready to take some notes, some great insights, and some great strategies on how to do this inside of your business. I want to welcome today's guest, Mark Graben. Mark, welcome to the show. Brian, thanks for having me. You know, we got to chat a little bit before the show, and... I got some ideas for some questions that I have for you. And I I really want to better understand how successful business leaders, highly functioning teams can really do process and measurements better. But before we get into that, Mm -hmm. what do you see as one of the biggest myths that these leaders and teams have about how they grow the business and, and the way that they can do it? What's the biggest myth you see in your business that is holding people back? The main myth that comes to mind, and I've seen this happen in companies large and small, old and young, manufacturing, healthcare, software companies, the myth is that leaders can draw meaningful conclusions from two data points. And I'll give you a scenario. So when I look, okay, we're in November as we're recording this, we've got our October numbers, whatever process or performance measure we're looking at. October's number is worse than September's. What meaningful conclusions? It's really hard other than to report the fact that, well, the number is lower than the month before, but at the same time, October 23 might be better than October 2022. So which we might have conflicting two data point comparisons. I've brought in a third data point coming from last year, but I've I've found people get in trouble overreacting to every up and down in some sort of business measure. Yeah. As soon as you said that two data points, it got me thinking, I just had a conversation with a client last month and I was like, I need to see trends on this. Right. Like you report red and green for the week. And I'm like, okay, so it was worse than last week or it was better than last week, but where are we at in the whole scheme of things? Exactly. Well, and the red green is a different dynamic of comparison to a goal or a target. 
Mm -hmm. right? So the number could be red below the goal, but getting better. And I'm assuming this is a metric where up is better. It could be red and getting better. It could be green and getting worse. Mm -hmm. So you're totally right, Ryan. We have to look at trends. Statistically speaking, two data points is not a trend. Three data points is not a trend. Four isn't really a trend. So if I'm working with a, a team and they've got some sort of monthly performance measure, I want to see at least 12 months of mm -hmm. data, if not 24, because then statistically speaking, we can see if that's really a trend or you know, maybe a pseudo trend or something we're hoping is a trend because a lot of business measures really just kind of fluctuate around an average mm -hmm. over time and like reacting to every up and down or a couple data points in a row. We're calling it a trend that could be misleading, that can throw us off track of what's really happening. We might make bad decisions as a result of misinterpreting one or two data points. We can do better than that. Yeah. I see a lot of times too with data is you were talking about how the red could be getting better, but it's still red. But I also see that sometimes that it doesn't tell you how far away you are. Sometimes sure. I see client companies say, Hey, our, our goal is seven and it's 42 for this month. And no one ever asks what we did to achieve 42 versus hey, we hit green, we're good. And so being able to draw those accurate conclusions, I think is really critical. So two questions I have for you. The first one is, so I hear you say 24 months mm -hmm. and I think of a, a lot of the business leaders that I know, they would kill to have 24 months of accurate data. Yeah. <laughs> so in an absence of not having a lot of good data, what's the next best thing? Like, how do we really draw these meaningful conclusions? If we, maybe we don't trust our data, maybe we don't, we didn't have good data because we only started measuring and got really well defined in the last few months. Yeah. What are some things that people can do to start making some better decisions in that, in those cases? There's two important aspects to what you're asking there, Ryan. One is how much data do we have? And look, if we're a new business and we've got three months worth of data, I would caution people to not overreact to differences in those first three months. That doesn't mean we can't improve the business. We could be looking with our eyes and listening to customers with our ears and identifying things that we need to be making better. You know, if we had six data points, now we're getting somewhere statistically speaking. But again, like let's be careful reacting to two data point comparisons. But the other point of what you bring up, Ryan, is really important. It's the accuracy of the data. If the data is wildly inaccurate, that, that's one reason we would want to be careful about drawing really firm conclusions from two data points, because the, the measurement error could mm -hmm. be a factor. It's one cause of variation in, in that measure. So we'd probably want to be doing things to, to tighten up that data and, and improve the accuracy. And then as we have more data points, let's look for really statistically uh, valid trends instead of just eyeballing it. Say, oh, three data points in a row going up. The bad assumption is thinking it's going to continue going up forever. Yeah. That may or may not be true. More data points will tell us if we're headed in that direction or not. So as a business leader myself, I'm thinking, okay, I've got data that I trust. I've got some accurate data points. It's time to make a decision on a change that we make. What are some tips that you can give our listeners for how to make decisions? Once they are, they've drawn these meaningful conclusions, they know what's going on. How do they make the right decision to be able to move things in the direction that they want? Because here's why I ask. Often I see things are very reactive. Sometimes people take things personally. Sometimes people are like, no, let's not do anything just yet. Maybe it's just a little blip and it'll get better. Help me understand, like, how, what's the thought process for getting through some of that? Well, there's, I think there's two key things. One is we've 
made a decision, we've made some sort of change that we think will lead to improvement in our process, our business, our performance measures, data points will tell the story. So we have to be careful if we we have some historical data we're looking at and some performance measures stalled and fluctuating around an average. We make a change. We have a hypothesis that it's going to be better. It's possible that next data point is a little bit better than the old average. It could mean that the change that we made hasn't really meaningfully impacted the metric. Maybe, again, we have to wait for, and this is where like daily performance measures or weekly performance measures are better because we get the data points more frequently. We have to look and say, well, is is that within the bounds of previous fluctuation or have we thrown an outlier into the data? Is it not just better than average? Is it not just maybe gone from red to green, but we're looking for a, a fairly significant jump in performance. And, and, and that's where methods from my previous book, Measures of Success, are helpful. We can use a little bit of math and then visualize a chart, like just draw a line chart in Excel and, and have some rules where we can evaluate our attempts at improvement. Have we really shifted performance? Has it made a statistically meaningful jump or is it still fluctuating around the old average? And, and there's some art here where we have to be careful to not give up on an improvement too quickly and not declare victory too soon either. You know what? Both of those were things I was thinking as you were talking. I see people go, yay, we did it this month. We're better. And then they move on (laughs) and they go work on something else. And there's other, I think, traps people fall into. You know, uh, performance is a little bit better. They declare victory Mm -hmm. and then performance drops a little bit. And then they think like, oh, we haven't sustained our change. Like, well, maybe the, the process change or the business change is being sustained, but the the jump in performance wasn't actually what we hoped or wanted it to be. So there's, I think, uh, again, back, back, back to two data points not being a trend is we're evaluating the impact of an improvement. We have to be careful. Now, if we have an old metric where the, the number was fluctuating between seven and nine, and that next data point is 42, statistically speaking, that seems very likely that we could call that an outlier or a signal in the metric. But if it was fluctuating between seven and nine and the next data point was 10, well, maybe it's not having the impact we had hoped, or here's the art of it. Maybe it's not having the impact yet. You know, there's something called the learning curve where people start doing work a new way. It's going to be maybe awkward and inefficient until they get used to it and it becomes really efficient. So that's why we have to be careful not to give up on a change too soon as we're evaluating to see if it's really a big improvement. You'd mentioned your book, Measures of Success. And by the way, go check out the book. It's got amazing reviews on Amazon. I know it's not your most recent book, but the reviews look great. One of the things that I see in that is that you move from being reactive to being proactive, being able to predict performance, being able to make changes that you can be confident are going to get you the results you want. How do business leaders go about doing that? And the reason I ask is sometimes I see people say, oh, we've got to, we got to move the needle here, which means just doing more of something. It just means doing more and doing more may not always be the right answer. Doing more or trying harder or, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think one, one way of looking at it is instead of just being really reactive and, and this happens a lot in healthcare, like with nurses and in healthcare, they love throwing pizza parties when things go well, but here's the <laughs> trap they fall into They'll throw a pizza party, and then the next month they're punishing people. Mm. It's like it's either pizza or punish. And either of those could be overreaction. So 
if some sort of performance measure on patient satisfaction is fluctuating around an average, and, and everyone's like, we're the same people, the same team doing the same work, the same way, different patients each month. And we don't feel like we did anything different, but now you're throwing us a pizza party. Like that, that that's a little unsettling because like, well, we don't, okay, fine. We'll take the pizza. Maybe we're sick of pizza. But mm-hmm. then the next month it drops and there's not only a lack of pizza, but now people are being pressured. They're being put upon to, to try harder and like, well, we, we didn't slack off. And those are some of the things I think leaders need to be careful in that overreaction. It can have a real human cost. People could get frustrated and and maybe leave the organization because they feel like they're being whipped back and forth or jerked around with these kind of overly excited ups and downs. Instead of being so reactive, we need to be more systematic and say, okay, well, this performance measure, patient satisfaction scores are pretty stable around an 80% average. Like asking why last month's number was 74%, probably not going to lead to anything really helpful. But when we step back and ask, well, what is it about how we provide care that's keeping the average where it is? What can we do to try to shift the average up to 88? That's, I think, a, a better question and leads to real improvement instead of just like feeling like, well, we're trying all sorts of different things. Well, like sometimes that that, that random activity isn't as, as powerful as a, a more systematic approach to improvement. So being able to ask the right questions, really understanding what I would say levers impact the movement in the data, those kinds of things. I can see that being a, a great skill for some leaders, but you also have another book that talks about how to incorporate this into your organization's culture, how to make this something that the whole company is on board with and understands how to look at data, draw the right conclusions, everything else. Give me the quick overview of your newest book. Yeah. So the new book is The Mistakes That Make Us, Cultivating a Culture of Learning and Innovation. And I've worked for more than 25 years in things that we could label as continuous improvement, lean manufacturing, lean healthcare. If you look at the lean word, there's a lean construction institute for people who are working in home building and commercial construction. These improvement practices, these leadership principles, a lot of it really comes down to culture. How do we create a culture where uh, people are feeling psychologically safe to speak up, to point out problems, to admit mistakes, to bring forward suggestions? Like There are certain things leaders really need to do to reward people for speaking up instead of punishing them. If we, if we punish mistakes, people learn to get better at hiding the mistakes, which I would argue is not good for the business. We're all human. We want to try to prevent mistakes, but when they happen, we want to have the culture and the capabilities to learn and improve so that we don't repeat those mistakes. So that's one of the, I think the key cultural elements of what makes continuous improvement go from like hopes and dreams to being a practical reality. How are we interacting with people when they speak up? Yeah, no, that got me thinking in a lot of the work we do with uh, construction companies and in the trades, when people make mistakes, the, the gut reaction is we just terminate them. And then they end up bringing someone new in and then they make the same mistake that the last guy made. <laughs> right. I've heard so many stories like that in so many different settings. And, 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 and when, when people say like, well, they made a mistake, we have to punish them. I'm like, well, it's a choice, right? I mean, there's no law that says you have to punish them. Once somebody has made a mistake, they have a lot invested and they have a lot of knowledge to understand what allowed that mistake to happen, which is different than asking, why did you F up? How can we prevent 
that mistake. I, I think involving somebody who was a participant in a mistake, it's really powerful. We want to tap into that experience that they've gained through the mistakes that that person, their, their team members, and, and the organization can learn from the mistake. Like you said, if you fire someone and bring someone else in that same situation, it might be just a matter of time before the same error pops up again. Yeah, I just met with a construction company and we were talking and there was the stuff that was costing the company money. And in a job market where you can fire me and I will have a new job by the end of the day, <laughs> there's not really a consequence, is it? The argument I have is you just invested in that person's education. Now it's time to get your ROI. So let's keep the person on the team. Let's mentor them. Let's coach them. Let's use them to share with others how to not do the same mistake and those kinds of things. And then eventually you don't have this revolving door of all these new people coming in, making the same mistakes over and over again, or worse, this huge policy manual to prevent every single possible mistake when a new person comes in versus coaching them, teaching them and those sorts of things. So how do people make that shift to a culture of innovation and allowing people to learn from this stuff? It sounds like a big task. How do they do that? Well, you know, I've been fortunate to learn, to be able to study this area called psychological safety. And I'll give credit to Timothy Clark, who's written a great book called The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. And, and this, I know this all sounds so touchy-feely, but hear me out. Like, it's very practical, right? If you want to improve, you want people to speak up. You can't just tell them that they should speak up. Mm -hmm. What I, I think Tim Clark is really insightful in pointing out, the things that are proven to help build psychological safety is when leaders lead by example, when leaders, when the owner of a business is willing and able to admit a mistake and say, let's learn from it, that sets a really good example for their team. Because mm -hmm. like to an owner or to a manager, like if you think your people think you're perfect, that might be a mistake, mm -hmm. right? They probably know you're not perfect, but they're still coming to work for you anyway, right? Yeah. So modeling those behaviors and, and that sort of sets the example, but then employees might say, hey, Ryan, I, I, I made a mistake. Uh, back there, it's better to fix it now rather than leaving it behind the drywall to be discovered later. You have to reward that person who has spoken up. And those are really the two key things. Lead by example and reward others when they follow your lead. I see that's something that you had started with the touchy-feely and I think that's actually what's lacking in a lot of businesses lately is that we forget that human beings are the soft side of business, right? They're the touchy feely side of business. I mean, they all have emotions and hopes and goals and dreams. And yeah. most of those things don't have anything to do with you achieving your business goals. Let's just be clear about that. <laughs> so I think it does, though, make a connection. Tom Peters, legendary management author and guru, who I've gotten to interview a couple of times, always says, the soft stuff is the hard stuff. You know, like it can be difficult. Building culture, I think, has many direct connections to business success. If we have a culture that makes people want to stay, not just sign on, but to stay mm -hmm. and develop people and learn through training, learning from mistakes, continuous improvement ideas. I mean, I think that there are pretty direct connections between treating people well respecting them, involving them, engaging them, that leads to improvement, that leads to business success. And I think we have to be careful about having a culture of fear. If there's a culture of fear, people will keep quiet, they'll hide their mistakes. And, and, and I think that doesn't lead to improvement or business success. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. And I do agree as well that 
when you invest in the people, it does lead to the tangibles, to the things that are important to you as the business leader and to your goals yeah. because they get buy-in. When they understand that you're bought into their success, they're going to be more bought into your success. Yeah. And I, I visited a, a hospital this morning where I'm doing some speaking and, and teaching there. One of the nurse managers said it so well. She talked about, she said, I treat my people like people. Mm. She said, I want to know about their family. I want to know about their lives. I want them to feel welcome because if they feel welcome, they're going to be more committed. If I take care of my people, they're going to be in a better frame of mind and, and have a better commitment to do the things that are required to improve patient care, right? So it's not about sitting around and chit-chatting and gabbing all day long, but like taking an honest interest in viewing all of us. We can't check our full personalities at the door. We're people and I think like fully remembering that I think is helpful in terms of building a positive team dynamic without trust and relationship. It's hard to ask people to speak up and work together on improvement and innovation. Yeah. I think she understood that. No, that's great. So some of this stuff that you're talking about, I I'm fully bought into, I think it's really cool. And I think that there are a lot of people listening right now going, okay, Mark, Sounds good, but this sounds like this is going to take a long time to do. What is one thing that our listeners can take from this? What is something they can go put in action that they can do besides reach out to you and your team and figure out how to do this or buy your book? What's something that they could go do that they could go, wow, that works. This Mark guy, he knows his stuff. Here's my tip. I don't know much about tackle boxes. I'm not, <laughs> I'm a, not a fisher. It's all right. So here, here's my maybe counterintuitive tip. If you want to better engage people in continuous improvement. And you have a different box, a suggestion box hanging up on the wall. Usually it's locked. Like, why does it have to be locked? Like, literally tear down the suggestion box. Because what I, I had somebody at an organization say once, it was really funny and they were totally right. They're like, that box is where good ideas go to die. <laughs> the box so rarely gets open. If I have an idea, maybe I'm not feeling the fear factor there could be a futility factor of like, why well, I could write something down on a slip of paper and put it in that box, but what's the point? Nothing happens yeah. or nothing happens quickly. So what I found works really better is give transparency. You could start with a bulletin board or a whiteboard, or you could use some software tools that, that give visibility. Like don't lock your ideas away in a box. Don't wait for months to talk about them. Put them up on a bulletin board and talk about them today or tomorrow mm. when you do a team huddle. Like that really gets the wheels moving and in a very positive way. So tear down the suggestion box. It'll help you death to the suggestion box, long live continuous improvement. I love that. Creating transparency with the team and especially the people that get it, the people that are on your front lines, the people that are making it happen, those nurses in the hospital. If you're on the executive team, you might not know some of the stuff that they're dealing with that could really transform your results. And so being open to hearing those suggestions, I mean, to me, that is definitely a tool in the toolbox, if you will. Or, you know, a piece of gear in your tackle box. It's something that you take to your business to go get you those continuous results. Mark, this has been great. If people want to know more about your books, know more about you, learn about you, how do they find out? And you have an offer for our listeners as well. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ryan. And there's a couple of places online. People can go to markgraben.com, G-R-A-B-A-N. Uh, if they want to learn more about the book, The Mistakes That Make Us, they can go to mistakesbook.com. That's probably easier to spell. 
in my last name, plural version, mistakesbook.com. And if they go to mistakesbook.com slash chapter, they can download and read a free chapter from the book. And if they think, well, you know, maybe I'll buy the book, but it could be a mistake. They can mitigate that risk by reading the free chapter and they can decide if this is for them. Perfect. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. A lot of great tips, a lot of great inspiration and ideas to help companies innovate and improve their processes and improve their results. Thank you again, Mark. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Thanks uh, for some great questions. Really appreciate it. Ryan England here. Thank you so much for listening to Titans of the Trades. If you're a Titan in the construction, manufacturing, or skilled trades industry and would like to be a guest on my show, please visit podcast.corematters.com. If you found value in this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot on your phone and share it with a friend or post it on social. And if you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Titans of the Trades. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, click the subscribe button. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and get me one step closer to solving the labor crisis facing the industry. Want to know more about how we're doing that? Go to our website or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.